Today's edition of the podcast is brought to you by CoachMe Plus. CoachMe Plus is the leader in athlete management software and a product that I've been lucky enough to be using for a little over a year now. Only rivaled by the impeccable customer service that Kevin and his staff provides, CoachMe Plus's ability to constantly be amoeba-like in their ability to mold and, and matriculate what you're trying to get across and bring together is, is absolutely fantastic. Their constant pursuit of better ways and better methods and, and innovations and progress to their own product is absolutely fantastic. Go over to CoachMePlus.com, check out what they got, guys. It's, uh, it's something that I guarantee you won't be disappointed with. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today, guys, we have an awesome talk. We're going to sit down and talk weightlifting with Columbus weightlifting head coach and president, Mark Cannonella. Guys, Mark's going to get into how he got into coaching lifters. lifters. You know, what brought him into the international scene and some really awesome differences that he sees that impacts uh, lifting, you know, just culturally that he's noticed from being overseas. He's going to get into what Columbus weightlifting is, what they do in the community, both for uh, Ohio and the sport, and how they operate. You know, and then the second half, guys, it's all programming. We're going to talk about how he handles his athletes in Columbus, including uh, where the lifts fit in with uh, with training other athletes. You know, some technical things that he looks at, some cues that you can use to you know as soon as you finish hearing this with your athletes on the floor today. Uh, his opinion of the role of the posterior chain in athletics, programming loads, and what he actually sees as a max when you're talking about lifting and uh you know really how being an artist is just as important as being a scientist guys it's an absolutely awesome talk mark is uh mark mark's the man when it comes to weightlifting and, and when people like cam davidson say hey this is a guy you need to talk to well we find him right away and bring him in so i hope you guys enjoy the talk as much as i did let's get right to it mark thanks for being on with us today Appreciate you having me on. This is going to be pretty cool. Yeah, so uh, with a mutual friend, Cam Davidson, when uh, when Cam says, you got to talk to this guy, I, I get on the phone you know, right away. So let's hear a little bit about, about Coach. What What's your background? Give our, uh, our listeners a little bit of your story. So kind of funny in regards to coaching. When I first got involved with weightlifting, it was more of an athlete perspective way back in the day before the Internet. So you're talking the late 80s when I got involved and started lifting, started learning about the lifts. I actually thought the snatch lift was a lift that you did with straight arms and you somehow swung the bar around your body watching it on TV. And keep in mind, when you're thinking about TV, you're talking about VCRs and that type of thing. Analysis has come a long way in terms of the way they show and depict weightlifting. But when I got involved with it, I really thought I would just do this as an athlete. And when I sort of got done in terms of my lifting, this would have been in California by the time it was all said and done. Quit a few careers along the way and a few other things. I ended up in California. I went back home and found a club just to train a little bit with Dan Bell at his. He found at Columbus Weightlifting with John Katsaris. And from there, when I walked in, they said, well, you should be the coach. And I said, well, why? And they said, well, you lift more weight than anybody else. And I went, okay, that's not exactly probably the best of reasons, but it sort of worked in our favor of the fact that the technique and understanding the things that I learned from Bob DeCano and a John Thrush and many others 
helped push us forward. And that was kind of the impetus, the start of us learning. We took the USAW classes way back when, 2001, 2002, 2003. We started to get involved with the old level one and level twos. And that's how my coaching career started. If you look at the adage of 10,000 hours, the Malcolm Gladwell thing, that's kind of how my trajectory, so to speak, looks at. So for the first few years, I had American Open, some national type lifters, then all of a sudden from about 06 to 2010, I had many national lifters, got people really going in terms of that realm. And then from 2010, you've got an Olympian, two world team members, coaching, team manager, all the other things that have come along with it. And if you look back at a career starting 2000, 2001, that's sort of a normal progression that you might see from a coach in terms of being involved with the athletes, how you've moved along the way. It's that trajectory almost like a... Price is Right yodeler, if you've ever seen the show where the dude goes up, right? Hopefully I don't fall on the other side, but that's the, the progression you're looking for is that nice trajectory where you're moving up the, the chart, so to speak, in terms of your X and Y axis, trying to get that ability to get your athletes moving in the, in the correct place. So that's a little bit of background on me in terms of what I've been involved with with the coaching aspect. No, that's, all, that's a great analogy, too. I love it. So... Uh, one thing that was also brought up is you do a bunch of stuff internationally. Correct. Uh, can we touch on that a little bit? Yeah. Who knew when I first started with this that we would be traveling abroad? I'm going to be getting ready to go to Hong Kong with Cheryl Hayworth and getting her keys, so to speak, for her coaching credentials with USAW. And back in 2012, so I had been involved with USAW in terms of being a lead instructor, but we did a course in North Carolina, and there happened to be a person there Mark Ritchie, who owns CrossFit Chiang Mai in Thailand, and he said, hey, I like the way you guys present this course. Would you do this for us in Chiang Mai? Well, obviously, we said yes. Definitely interested in going abroad, and it was really the first time that we taught over there, and we had roughly 35 to 40 participants that from all around the world, but just to give you a quick insight, 40-some-odd people you're teaching a USAW class. Take a guess how many people in Thailand use chairs to sit down. Oh. Probably zero, right? Yeah. Why? When you look at people sitting in other countries compared to the United States, none of them do. In other words, they sit in that perfect squat position. Well, that's what we saw, and that was kind of like the first time that I realized, hey, the, when we talk about that nice high bar squat, most other countries do that naturally. For the United States, not so much. And that was kind of the first thing of looking inside, hey, this is what normal people do in terms of squatting, whereas in the United States, we don't do it so much. I had a guy that recently told me from Canada that 90-plus percent of knee operations and with the way the hip works that happens is pretty much a North American phenomenon. So that gives you an idea of the number of people that have knee replacements and things going on with their hips. It's because we sit in a chair, which I'm doing now and I'm sure you're doing also, right? And so that position is not exactly in terms of functional. That's one of the things that we're big about in Columbus weightlifting is being functional and being upright with all our lifts, being vertical, so to speak. And when you go to Asia and go to these other countries, we've taught at the Asian Fit Conference, done a bunch of stuff. Every single one of these athletes are upright, sitting very low in a correct position. Whereas in America, you probably know this, being in strength and conditioning world, you don't get all these athletes that can squat right off the get-go. There's a reason why. We've been sitting for many, many years. Oh, yeah, totally. It's, it almost takes 
half a career to get a kid who's in a, in a tough spot to actually do things what you want him to do. Exactly. And that's a prime reason they've always sat and they've not been in that correct position. So that abroad in terms of experience that we've got, and now we've been all around the world and we've taught these classes from Europe to Asia, you name it, we see the differences in the athletes that essentially are showing that correct position. So it's much easier right out of the box turnkey to get them in the correct positions. So it's been pretty cool for us to be able to show them what we call our Columbus weightlifting teaching aspects and be able to bolt on what they properly do, which is to move functionally right off the get-go. They don't have some of the psoas and hip and leg and dorsiflexion issues that you see in many of the athletes that come into a place like you or for us walk into the gym. So then it would be safe to say that you would consider the chair to be a handicapping factor to USA weightlifting. Yeah, unbelievably, the chair, and believe it or not, if you've done read some of your studies on what's the number one predictor of somebody dying, it's not all the normal stuff from smoking to heart disease and everything else. It's sitting. So you sitting at a chair, basically, is the number one predictor of dying sooner than later because you're not moving that blood around. And that's a fascinating thing to read about, that when people sit, and that's why you see these stand desks where people will stand up and work. It's because essentially what you're doing is you're putting yourself in a position where the, the blood pulls down and you're sitting in a fixed position, just like driving a car like a truck driver. So food for thought for you, do some work on that and you'll see that that number one predictor, it gets all of us because we're sitting around quite a bit and that's one of the things that early man obviously didn't do that we do now quite a bit. So we want to stand up as much as possible. We want to move around as much as possible. Oh, no doubt about it. And so moving from that, let's talk about Columbus weightlifting a bit. Give us a little a little story about the club. So the club obviously started, I mentioned earlier, with Dan and John, but I've taken this club over probably around 2004, 2005, and run with it ever since. So we're a nonprofit. We've got the arm, obviously, with the Arnold, which we've given away over $200,000 to deserving athletes. We love that. This was my capstone project for school. And then inside the community of Columbus, we've taught all these different athletes. One of our big focuses is the technique side of things. We believe that the technique really makes a difference. You can have a strong athlete, but if you can get them to move correctly, that's a big thing. So Columbus weightlifting is really about the technique. Very bullish on some of the symposiums and the people that I've learned from back in the day and the full flat foot quad dominant in terms of sitting to the floor and pushing away from the floor is a big staple for us. We always say it, good start equals a good finish and it's true. You get some athletes that won't do that, try to use their back instead of their legs. When we set them in the correct position to use their legs properly, they pretty much get a good lift and that's what we try to do with every one of our lifters, especially the new ones, is to have them bend at the hip and the knee and sit to the bar as opposed to what normally most people do. We want to what? Just bend over at the back at our hip and lean over and grab which promotes the back instead of the legs. And you'll find a huge difference in your athletes. If you're working with 100 athletes because of the NCAA and you only have an hour, you'll see a dramatic difference having them sit to the bar as opposed to just leaning over and grabbing it. And that's a big difference right there. It doesn't look like it, but functionally it is a big difference. Oh, yeah, totally. It's, I think a lot of people make the, the crazy mistake when they're teaching kids to do the lifts 
of teaching them how to actually deadlift as opposed to teaching them how to pick up the bar. Um, and there may be people listening or watching right now that are like, well, what's the difference? And it, it's vastly different. You know, it's, it's not going anywhere. A, a deadlift isn't going anywhere. There's a reason it's called a deadlift. Um, and it is more of a, a pull from, you know, a high hip in the back. So let's, let's talk about some things that you guys do at Columbus to work on those positions. So you said, first and foremost, pushing with the, with the flat foot to get that quad activation. So what are what are a tip or two that you could give to a coach to say we sh these are some things we look at? So the things that we look at and we insist upon with our athletes is when they approach the bar I mentioned earlier, sitting to the floor. So <clears throat> a great example of this, if you have a bag of groceries on either side of you and, you and you sit to that and you grab those bags, would you lean over and just bend at the hip or would you sit? We show these athletes, just like a hack squat, to sit down and grab as opposed to leaning over. So that's one of the first things that we insist upon is making sure that our athletes feel that position. Surely once they get used to the position and understand how to use their legs, they can go to a normal position in, in the sense that some like to use a dynamic start, some like to use a static start. So that's the first thing. The second thing we do is we make sure that they feel their foot on the ground. That's a big thing. If you'll notice... Most people, when they push, if you look at their feet, you'll see them come up. So the foot will rise up at the top by the tarsals or their, their heel won't be down on the ground. And you'll see a lot of give, if you want to call it. From that give position, you're not going to have application of force. So we teach them to dig, essentially, their big toe, their little toe, and their heel, their full flat foot, through the ground to feel that as they push away. So they have application of force. We sort of described it if it was the space shuttle. It's trying to move 25,000 miles per hour to get off the pad, and then all of a sudden one of the engines is cut. Well, you're probably going to have the space shuttle fall over because it doesn't have that energy, that ballast to push it forward. In weightlifting, it's the same thing. We have to have a solid base to push against. And again, you're talking quad dominant. And when you push against the floor, it's really important that you use your legs to do that. You have to have your feet firmly fixed to the ground to make that happen. Those would be two things that really make a difference at Columbus Weightlifting that get athletes to move correctly, pushing as opposed to using their back. Yeah, no, and that's some big-time stuff right there, just getting that, the whole idea of the, the triangle with your foot, you know, the, yep. the big toe and the little toe and the heel is, 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 is worth the price of admission listening right now. Um, that's fantastic. So when we look at then the next part, since – most people aren't going to be dealing with just weightlifters. They're going to probably be more of the performance coach type sure. person. When we talk about the quad dominant things, there's a lot of people I'm sure that are sitting here saying right now, well, athletics is mostly posterior chain. So how do you handle that situation when a coach comes to you with bringing that to your attention? So in terms of the realm of weightlifting, if somebody talks about the posterior chain, it's not that it's not important. It's functionally how we move. And obviously, if you want to jokingly say, hey, we're bipedal, we're, we, we use our two legs or two feet to move around, a set person, let's say you use football, for example, when you drive into somebody and you're pushing against another person or an implement or whatever it may be, if you notice the position, it emulates exactly what you would do in a clean or a snatch. So the position of your back, the position of your legs pushing through starts with your quad. 
as you go through the motor pattern, sure, there's going to be posterior chain action, but you finish up back under your quad again based on, we call it three easy steps in terms of our lifting. So when you get that initial push, it's not, again, a deadlift type action. You're actually digging into the ground. You're pushing against somebody, and initially that quad is firing before you initiate anything else. So if you're sitting back on your heels or if you're in a posterior chain, if you're essentially following somebody that believes in a low bar type squat and sitting back, you tell me any sport where you're sitting back basically or the bar in terms of emphasis of being placed would be behind you as opposed to any sport where you're driving where you're forward. Basketball, baseball, football, tennis, it doesn't matter, golf, you can even talk about darts. One hand, you got your beer, right? <clears throat> and then on the other hand, you're basically leaning forward onto your quad and firing your dart. Everything you do is forward in terms of the jumping. Sure, understand the posterior in terms of a jump, but even in weightlifting, you're pushing forward before you do this movement, and then you would transfer. It's kind of like a train track. It goes from quad to posterior in terms of the hamstring and then back to the quad. Those things are important in terms of the movement. So anybody that kind of tells me, hey, it's all posterior chain, I would say the last time I saw a lineman that basically when you talk about the posterior chain, they're basically going to get pancaked flat on their back because they're sitting back as opposed to what do they do? They engage, they have straight arms, which we talk about a lot about in weightlifting, and they're pushing essentially forward based on somebody coming at them. So that's our first motor pattern. We want to sit forward slightly and basically being engaged. For us, it's the barbell. For somebody else, it might be an implement. So it might be baseball with a baseball bat. We're not sitting back. We're actually driving forward as we come through application of force. It kind of That's where I would focus and explain to somebody that would try to refute that in terms of an argument. No, and I think that's brilliant. Um, and that's actually great stuff and some awesome analogies and Unfortunately, we don't get to coach or play darts enough here in the weight room, I guess, you know, but uh, I noticed in the back you have space there. You could probably put a cork board, right? Yep, right there. You're good to go. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if Stu would really want us just to uh, <laughs> actually Stu probably wouldn't mind at all. Um, but thinking back to the club now and kind of going back to weightlifters, is there anything that you use to identify guys or or ladies that you're training that would be people that you would push to uh to a higher level do you guys have a, a talent id or any sort of evalu evaluations that you run with these young men and women that you bring in sure uh, you can tell pretty much off the get when you have somebody that's very talented i'll give you a quick story for you there was a guy that was a world-class wrestler from ohio that came in he was a medalist had competed on the world level and I'd asked him to work with basically some of the fundamental things that we do with, again, pushing with the legs, whereas you could tell he was using his back. And within a few reps, he was already at a so-called PR, personal record. And as he moved along, he kept hitting higher and higher weights based on the movement pattern that we were doing. And he essentially said to me, hey, you're a really good coach. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm a really good coach. You're just a world-class athlete. I could have you play darts, tiddlywinks, whatever. You're going to be world-class because he was so hooked up to do the movements. 
So when those athletes come in, you can tell real quickly. You tell them one time, and they pretty much get it, and they move. And you can tell by the way they move with their bodies, the, the rhythm and timing. That's important. So that identification is essentially 15, 16, 17 years of coaching and looking at world-class athletes, seeing how they move. So just like the bell curve of life, and we go back to Malcolm Gladwell again in terms of the looking at normal people, 80% of our people are in that normal range, right? Probably somebody like you and I in terms of lifting or whatever the sport is. And then you have outliers on either side. For me, I can recognize those outliers pretty quickly in terms of weightlifting because I've been around it forever and can see those athletes in terms of the way they move that they're going to be somebody that's going to be successful. And for each athlete that comes in that we identify in that realm, we're going to talk to them more about competing in weightlifting than just doing other sports for whatever they're doing to have weightlifting accompany that. That way they can say, hey, do I want to choose another sport? and weightlifting is going to assist me, or do I strictly want to do weightlifting, which you know now, 2016, there's no better time to be in weightlifting. Sponsorship, the exposure, how CrossFit fits all into this, how even other sports fit into this. What do they talk about at the NFL Combine? It's not so much the bench press right now, it's what? The power clean and the squats. Who knew in 2016 we would have this? You almost want to die and go to heaven in terms of hearing that that the NFL Network talks about that, Sirius Radio, they talk about the ballistic lifts. So it's pretty amazing how that change has happened. Yeah, it actually is completely fascinating. And then piggybacking through that, let's talk a little bit about programming for these, these top-level athletes. How do you get the ball rolling with them and how do you get them going? And then what are your benchmarks where you start either hammering down or pulling back on them? So first thing, we take somebody that's a little bit newer and we're going to have them go through some, in terms of test periods of time, we're going to first teach them the movements, we're going to do some basic pushing and pulling, we're going to do some basic squats, pressing type motions, and we do that for X amount of weeks. How long that may be depends on the athlete. From there, we start to structure a little bit what they're doing. We have short-term goals, long-term goals, and we, we eventually figure out after about four to six months what their max is. And this is weightlifting specific. If I was working with athletes in another realm, I might change this up a little bit and speed up the process. But for somebody that's a weightlifter, we have time and it's nice. The one beauty of weightlifting is we can practice many hours over and over and over again with that dedication and figure out what their maxes are from the power movements. In other words, the power clean and the power snatch to their full lifts, clean, snatch, all those squats and then start to dial in the program design where you're undulating, going back and forth roughly 75 to 100% and in basically affect the intensity and volume, <clears throat> excuse me, where you start to figure out what works for those athletes. The bigger the athlete, they can handle intensity, but as you know, they can't handle the volume. So your linemen, so to speak, for football, you can't have them run gassers all the time. They're probably going to fall apart, whereas your wide receivers, you know this, you can run them all day long. Sort of the same thing with weightlifting. Our smaller athletes can handle a little bit more volume, not so much in terms of the intensity, but on the flip side, our bigger athletes can handle more intensity and less volume. And so you program design based on that. Somebody like a Cam Davison being right around 94 kilos, that would be somebody that's going to be a little bit more on the higher intensity level. And because he's lifted for many, many years, we can essentially do the classic lifts and he's going to get good results from that. Yeah, and he said that his results have been absolutely fascinating. 
Well, and again, a lot of that's just based on the technique. So if you've got good technique, like a golf swing, you can hit it 300 yards. Now you dial in that technique a little bit more, and all of a sudden it becomes 320. And that's what you're looking to do. Everybody can hit at a certain level or lift at a certain level, but once you tweak the technique and look at an athlete based on their body, you can tweak them, so to speak. And again, we talk about Columbus weightlifting being very technique-driven, and with the technique, that allows for them to maybe lift a little bit more. And a lot of times, as you know, it's not much of a difference between somebody that wins and somebody that basically places fourth. That separation is not much. And so that's the thing that we pride ourselves on is to have athletes move correctly so that way they have an opportunity to finish at the higher levels. Oh, yeah, totally. So then piggybacking into that with the, the main emphasis being technique, working with these guys and these, these ladies 75 and above, do you find a typical breakdown area uh, or is 100% like a training max? What do you mean by breaking down? Like Give me a little bit more on that. Where technique starts to maybe be less than ideal. So that's a big thing. What's max mean? Many people think max is 100% or else. Otherwise, I jump out of a building window and it's the death of me. No, 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 not at all. Max is of the day. So if you've gotten good sleep and you've been eating well and things are going fine, max is going to be whatever that max is and maybe it positions yourself for a PR. But you know this. You ask your athletes, what were you doing six months ago? They might have been in a different living conditions, boyfriend-girlfriend relationship, job situation, parent situation. All that can change on a dime. So, for example, I've got an athlete. He's a lawyer and he's about 28 years old. This athlete has gone through a significant change. He just got married, and a few months ago, he took on a different job. And so for both of those stressors, if you want to call them, and I'm not saying marriage is a stressor, but nonetheless, you get the idea, he's going to be affected in a certain way, so we've got to change that program design. For somebody that maybe is a 75 or 75-plus, especially for a female, there's a lot of things that go on there in terms of weight gain. You have to ask them the, the kind of questions of, hey, is your period affecting you? How often do you, in terms of which weeks does this fall on? I had an athlete that literally every single major meet that she had, her period would hit and it affected essentially her weight gain and her mood enough that we had to figure out a program design that worked for her. These are the realities of a 2016 coach that maybe wasn't addressed in 2019, 90, 1980, 1970, so to speak. Now that women are lifting in vogue and this is a normal thing, they started lifting at the World Championships in 1987 at the Olympics in 2000. You've got to deal with this, and this is a normal thing. So for me as a coach, these are the questions that get broached all the time is trying to figure out these maxes, so to speak, and know when to back off and know when to push. And it's based on a lot of other stressors in your life. People have to understand, hey, if you don't hit 100% every time when you're supposed to go heavy, that's okay. You live to fight for another day. Yeah, no, awesome points, and it's it's funny how no matter what realm of training you get into, it it always comes back to being able to modify and understand the the effects of stress, whether it be the training stress or, or outsides, and that's 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 awesome. You know, the understanding that the art part has to be just as important as the science is yes. what coaches are. You have to allow for creativity in your program design and know when to back off and when to push. And there's going to be days where you're planning on pushing that you just don't have it. 
you can analyze it all you want, but some days, as an old coach said one time and he was watching two guys train and the coaches were telling him all the things to do, and as he walked by, he said, hey, the weight's too heavy today, and he just kept walking by. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Some days, the weight is just too heavy, and you live to fight for that other day. Rome wasn't creating a day. Give yourself another opportunity, and let's see what happens. Oh, no doubt. You can always come back and try again tomorrow unless you overdo it today, and then you may have to wait a week. It, exactly. It's like a circuit breaker popping. You have to reset that. Each person's a little bit different, and you have to understand how to reset that on each person. So that's that's a great point. Also, for people to understand, just because you didn't hit something today doesn't mean you can't come back a few days later, whatever a few days means, and actually reset that and go after whatever you're looking for again. No, yeah, I hundred percent. That's a fantastic point. So then what for, for maybe some of the younger coaches out there who haven't seen these types of things or understand what this, what are some things that you use? What is your coach's eye when determining today's a day to push or today's a day to back off? So I can see right off the get go in terms of the movement pattern, somebody actually moving in a correct realm of their speed, their rhythm, their timing, where I can really see, hey, this might be a day where you want to get more out of that athlete in terms of 100% max. Let's say we're only going 80 85% for whatever reason, but you see them doing well. You might add on a little bit of weight and say, hey, let's try one more here. I want to see how this looks. And if it looks good, you continue on that progression, maybe not even saying anything about what the 100% is and just creep towards that and talk about the technique and before you know it, they actually are hitting close to that max where then it becomes a game within the game of, hey, just so you know, you're within three kilos of your all-time best. What do you think about trying something for a max? And then you find out what that athlete's thinking. Hey, I'm ready to go. Or, hey, for whatever reason, I feel a little bit tired. This felt really good. Live to fight for another day. So you can talk back and forth with that athlete to see where they're at based on the technique and I think that helps. There's a lot of analysis that goes on, some variable heart stuff that I've wanted to get involved with more that we haven't. But those type of things that the Russians used to do back in the day where they would test the blood and kind of determine things, there's an art side, there's a science side, and that's the side that I want to get more involved with. I know some people out in the Seattle area that are pretty smart, and they used to be weightlifters, and they're involved with some of this stuff. That's kind of like the next step for us is do a little more of the analysis. We do technique analysis, but what about the body itself? And those are things that we want to get more involved with, but we haven't yet. Yeah, and HRV would fit in really great with what you guys are doing. And, you know, looking at the functioning state of the, the organism, I think would be yeah. kind of like right in the same realm of what you're doing. And it's, you know, Cam and I had a good talk about that in PA a few weeks back where it's, it, it's still along the same lines, you know. There, there are still times where you let them go if if you're not getting the numbers that you think. But it's just a matter of if you're paying with your credit card or your debit card, you know. Good point. No matter what. Good point. Um, but yeah, no, coach, this is absolutely fantastic. I I can't thank you enough for spending the time with us today. Some freaking Monday morning information that people can take right out and, and bring right into the gym with the kids that they're training. Can't thank you enough for taking the time with us today, buddy. Well, definitely appreciate it. I like talking about weightlifting, the application to other sports. That's one of the things that we do is we have athletes that come in. So surely any of your athletes, if they're coming through the Columbus, Ohio area, would love to have them come out. We could work with them and work their technique. 
that's one of the things that we enjoyed doing, just like we did with Cam way back when. He came in for a training session, started tweaking him a little bit, and before you know it, we were getting PRs out of him just by changing a few things, and it was subtle. So that's one of the offers that we always give. Hey, we would love to work with the athletes, and if you do have where an athlete's coming through, we would like to work with them. Awesome, man. Well, appreciate the invite, and uh, we will be in touch really soon, my friend. Thank you very much. All right, take care. Have a great day. All right. Huge thanks to Columbus Weightlifting's head coach and president, Mark Cannonella, for uh, spending the time talking with us today. Guys, like, like I said, some stuff you can take right in the weight room right now. You know, thinking about the whole foot, gripping in, pushing through there, looking at a more quad-dominant squat and why Mark sees that being more important. Um, you know, everybody loves to talk about the posterior chain, and it's very interesting to hear someone who has such a, a high level of expertise in his area to kind of have a different opinion of it, which was pretty cool to me, to be honest. Uh, you know, guys, again, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did, because uh, I, Mark's a wealth of knowledge, and I, I really appreciate him being so open and honest with his sharing. And if you did enjoy it, guys, please share it in the social media outlet of your choice, Facebook, Twitter, whatever it may be. Again, just trying to get great information out there to the great coaches. We'll be back in a week, guys, with another awesome guest. Thanks again for being involved with Central Virginia Sport Performance. We will see you next week.